Amen. Thank you, guys. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of James. Uh, we've been, the last couple of weeks on Sunday night, we've been in the book of James, and we're going to continue uh, that tonight. We're going to be in James chapter 1. You can turn to verse number 19 in your Bible. You know, it's the oldest university uh, in America. It was established in 1636. It's produced 43 Nobel uh, Prize winners. The total cost for tuition at this place in 2019 is $67,800 per semester and has an annual income of $4.5 billion and has an endowment of $37.1 billion. It is the most difficult university in America to get into. Only 8% of applicants are admitted. It's graduated United States presidents like uh, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, George W. Bush, JFK, Rutherford B. Hayes, Barack Obama, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and Theodore Roosevelt. Twenty of its graduates have gone on to the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, and with two of its graduates serving as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Governors, senators, congressmen, ambassadors are counted among its famous alumni. It is considered to be one of the most prestigious universities in the world. Now look at this next slide. Of course, what I'm talking about is Harvard University. Did you know that Harvard University has the fourth largest library in the world? The fourth largest library in the world. They have over 15 million volumes. Right? What fascinates me most, though, about Harvard is the motto. It was originally Christi Glorium, a Latin phrase meaning for the glory of Christ. Later, it was Christo et Ecclesia, uh, for Christ in the church. And now it's just one word. Look at this next slide. It is veritas. Veritas. And that's the word, a Latin word for truth. For truth. Harvard was started by ministers, by preachers of the gospel. They recognized the need for an education in this new world. Uh, but I don't think that Harvard is known in 2019 for producing preachers of the gospel. Even though the school is founded on veritas, teaching truth, it probably does not teach anyone that Jesus Christ is the truth. Matter of fact, and, and, or about God's word. Jesus, look in your notes, John 17, 17. Jesus said to the Father, Christ, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. Now, again, last couple of weeks we've been looking at James, and we understand that real faith is not invisible. It is shown by the life of the believer. Real faith can be seen with the eyes of the unbeliever. And what they don't teach you in a place like Harvard is probably the most important thing that you could ever understand. Look at this next slide. The secret to a life that is significant is found by being rightly related to the Word of God. The secret to any kind of successful life is directly related to your relationship with the Word of God. And James kind of shares with us three ways that we should be related to the Word of God, how we should approach the Bible and the truth that's in it. Because if you're going to live a life that honors God, you're going to have to be a person who honors God's Word and you're invested in God's Word. They don't teach you that at Harvard. Look in James chapter 1, verse 19. That's where we're going to start. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now what is James teaching us here? This is basic Baptist Bible doctrine 101. Number one, write this down. We have to receive God's word. We have to receive God's word. Now, one of the reasons why I'm convinced that James is putting such an emphasis on the word of God uh, and our relationship to the word of God is because James remembered how much his half-brother with his mama, Jesus, emphasized the importance of the word of God. And so we have to approach the word of God with the right heart. And the way we do that, look at verse 21. It's found right there in verse 21. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's what we talked about this morning in church when we talked about that prayer. God, examine my heart. Show me if there's anything in my life that I need to do business with. Now, right here in that verse, it says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Uh, that word receive in the Greek means to make welcome. Think of a welcome mat in front of your door. It means to welcome it, to receive it, like you would receive a gift, right? The word of God is God's gift to us, and we receive it like we would receive a, 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 a gift. Make sure that God's word is welcome in your heart and your soul and your life. But if you're going to do that, you got to read it. And the word receive in the Greek actually has a little bit of a deeper meaning than just receiving a gift. It really means to allow someone to come in and to totally influence and dominate. You see, if I come over to your house because, you know, I'm the right Reverend Marcus D. Wayne Kelly, you'll be nice and you'll be, right, Brother Marcus, come in and sit down. Can I get you something to drink, right? You know, put, you know, just, yeah, and we'd have a wonderful visit. We'd talk about them vols or whatever we would talk about. And then um, that would be that. And you'd be, you'd be welcoming, right? You'd be generous and all that thing. But if one of the presidents of the United States come over to visit, your, gener your welcoming and your generosity would go to another level. In other words, if the president of the United States come over and said, hey, I want to come over. And then, yeah, come on over. You make them welcome. You clean everything good. And come on in. Whether you liked them or not and voted for them or not, come on in. Right? And then if the president wants a cookie, you're going to get the president a cookie. I don't know if you've ever heard, but if you give a president a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk. <laughs> that, that, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, and so, if, so if you, have you read the book, The Mouse, if you give a mouse a cookie? Anyway, and so what you'll do is you'll get the president a cookie. You'll get him a glass of milk. If the president says, I want to spend the night, you'll think, well, sir, I think you've got better places to stay. But sure, you can spend the night. You would roll out the red carpet. Anything he asked for, desired or wanted or needed for his comfort or just to meet his desires, you would provide for him if it was within your power. You would welcome him in to your home. That's the picture that this Greek word received is giving us right here in the book of James. That kind of receiving and welcoming. When you welcome God's word into your heart, you have that same attitude that whatever the word of God says, that goes in your life. And but and notice what he says, in order for that to happen, you have to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wick, wickedness. Look at this next slide right here. 
That word for filthiness is the, has the, uh, the word picture of wax in the ear. Earwax. Now, I started to get a real gross picture, but I figured this one would you know, do the trick. Amen? See, when you let the wax continually build up in your ear, you become hard of hearing. Right? It hurts your hearing. And the same thing when he says uh, filthiness here, when bad attitudes and sin and evil thinking, it does the same thing that wax does to your ear. You're not going to hear what you should hear. You're not going to receive what you should receive. He's saying you've got to remove anything in your heart that would keep you from hearing the word of God. What could keep you from hearing the word of God? It could be a spirit of bitterness, selfishness, greed, anger, indifference. Any of those things could keep you from hearing the word of God. That is, has amazed me over all the years that I've been in the ministry how some people could come and sit under such good preaching, sound doctrine. How some people could come in and sit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and it never changed their heart, never changed their attitude, and never changed their life. Why? Because they got too much wax built up, too much filthiness in their heart. They're not receiving the word of God. Because notice again how James referred to God's word. Look again in verse 21. He says, and receive with meekness the implanted word. I love that, the implanted word. You know, when there's an organ transplant, there's this real important window of 24 to 48 hours where we're going to see if the body's going to re reject that, that organ. Uh, in one of our previous churches, we had this, uh, this uh, couple, this really sweet family. We loved them a bunch. And he had a heart transplant. And I remember after he had the heart transplant, they just left them there open. Like he was covered, but he was wide open because if anything was going to go wrong, it was going to go wrong in that 24 to 48 hour. If it was going to reject it, right? It was an important window uh, in the organ transplant process. God wants to transplant, to implant his word directly into our heart. But just like an organ, if there's any infection, if there's some issues, your body's going to reject that organ. And God's word, when God wants to implant his word in your heart and in your life, if there's any infection, sin, filthiness, wickedness in your life, a bitter spirit, an attitude of rebellion, you're going to reject God's word much the way a body will reject an organ that's been implanted into it. Now, how do you know whether or not your body has accepted God's word? Well, it's simple. You know that your body has accepted God's word. You've received it. You've accepted God's word when you decide to obey it. And the moment you decide, I'm not going to obey that, I'm going to disobey God's word, you have rejected the implanted word. You have not received it with meekness. Number two, write this down. He calls us to be doers of God's word. You know us, man, we're so much in grace and, you know, uh, it's on the name of the church, for goodness sake. We're so much about grace and, and, you know, trusting Christ. And we know it's not a work salvation. But sometimes we go so far in one direction, we completely forget that uh, God has given us a faith that has feet on it. That God has called us to be doers of his word. Right? And now what we're going to come to is the most famous verse in all of the Bible. Look at verse 22. Best known, most quoted he says, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Or actually, look at this next slide. In the NIV, it says it like this. Uh, it's one of the few times I like that translation. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it 
says. We don't like that often because we haven't received the implanted word. It shouldn't surprise you that this is the most popular verse in all of the book of James, the most famous verse. This verse right here summarizes the whole book of James. If you want to know what the book of James is about, this verse is a perfect summary. He's saying that real faith doesn't just listen to God's word. Real faith doesn't just take notes on God's word, and I hope you do take notes. Real faith doesn't just meditate on God's word, and I hope you do meditate on God's word. Real faith doesn't just memorize God's word. I hope that you do memorize God's word. But real faith obeys God's word and applies the word of God to our lives. Look at this next slide. Real faith practices what it preaches and lives what it believes. Now, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about being perfect or any of that. But generally speaking, when we've got real saving faith in Christ and he has saved us and redeemed us, right, our practice is going to be very similar to what we preach. Now, James, again, is not against listening to God's word. He says, do not merely listen. You know, when you're in college, you can, what they, you can audit a class. An audit class. So, so if you're going to go and sit in on a class, I have no idea why you would do that. Has anybody ever audited a class here? Raise your hand. Anybody? 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 Okay, good. Because I was going to ask you, why would you do that? And so, but people do that. There's reasons. I don't know what they are. But I know that you can go and sit in and audit a class. When you audit a class, you're not responsible for being present. You're not held accountable for your grades. You don't have to turn papers in and do all the work. Uh, you can kind of come in and sit on the class. Uh, you can be there, not be there. Nobody's really going to hold you accountable. You're just auditing the class. You're checking it out, right? Not required to write papers, take tests, get any grades. Not held accountable in any way at all. And far too many people in these days who claim to be Christians are simply spiritually auditing the Word of God. What I mean is we come to church, we listen, yeah, kind of. We pay attention, maybe. Take a few notes, perhaps with no intention whatsoever of applying anything that we've heard from the Word of God to our lives. No intention of making any kind of life change based on the principles that are extracted from God's Word. Let me give you a principle. I hope you, Look at this next slide. You might need to write this down. If you learn truth but don't live truth, you're going to lose truth. If you learn truth but you don't live it out, you're going to lose it. Learning truth is kind of dangerous. Because it's not enough to be able to say, I learned a great truth today. To come to church, I learned a great truth. That's fine and that's good. But the question is, have you allowed that truth to penetrate your heart and make a difference in how you're living your life? Have you allowed the truth to get into the bloodstream of your mind and change the way you think about something? To get into your hands and feet and do something about how you're living your life? To get into your eyes and change how you see people? To get into your mouth and change the way that you speak? What is that? It's a meme on Facebook. You'll see it sometime. Usually women post it. I don't, I don't know the exact wording of it, you know. It's like, it goes something like this. I'm saved, but this mouth. Well, if that mouth ain't saved, you ain't saved neither. There's a difference between reading a menu and eating a meal. There's a difference between reading a prescription on a bottle and taking the medicine. There's a difference between hearing God's word and applying it to your life. To hear it, to meditate on it, to think about it, to, to, to enjoy it, to, to you know, put it on the dash of your car, whatever you do with God's word, now that's fine, but without application, it's meaningless. And, you're and James says, you're deceiving yourself. 
that you're living a lie. If that's all you do, look again, look at verse 22, the last part. He says, deceiving yourselves. That word there, deceive, in the Greek means to think you're something that you're not. The inference that James is making is that if you're a hearer of the word of God, right, you're here only, not a doer, that you do not obey the word of God, that you're fooling yourself about being a believer. That's the inference that he's making here. Right? If you don't accept God's word as the authority and the rule for the way you live, if you don't apply God's word to your life so that it makes a difference, James is saying most likely you do not have a relationship with God at all. He's saying you've deceived yourself. In other words, you've convinced yourself that you're something that you're not. You're lying to yourself. Look, go back up to verse 18. Here's what he said in James 1.18. He says, of his own will he brought us forth. How, how do we get saved? By the word of God. I am amazed by how many Christians, uh, quotation, Christians that I have met in my life who claim to be Jesus followers, but they don't believe the Bible as the infallible, inerrant word of God. I mean, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. Newsflash, you don't believe in Jesus. You cannot believe in Jesus without believing in the inspiration of Scripture. If it wasn't for the inspiration of Scripture, you wouldn't know who Jesus is. Of his own will, he brought us forth, how? By the word of truth, the very word of God. God, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. That we might be a, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It is through the word of truth that we're born again. And so if we're born again by the word of God, only by taking the truth from scripture, from what the word of God says about who Jesus is, and what it says about who I am and what I must do to respond to the grace and love that Jesus offers, if I'm going to take that truth and apply it to my life, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, right? But if we don't take the implanted word and allow it to get into our hearts and our lives, we are not saved because we haven't believed the word. It is only through the word that we can believe. It is through the word of truth that we're born again and have a relationship with God. And if we don't believe the word, if we have no desire to obey the word, it's very likely, according to James, that we are deceiving ourselves. We're, dece we're fooling ourselves, living a lie. Look at verse 23. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. James is comparing God's word to a mirror. Did you know the Bible has a mirror ministry? That's what I call it, a mirror ministry. In scripture, uh, you know, mirrors don't care, do they? Mirrors do not care. You, how many of you woke up this morning, rolled out of bed, and looked in the mirror? And I thought, Lord, pray for grace. I'll tell you what, this is the mug they're going to be looking at this morning. I had hair going everywhere. Mirrors don't lie. Mirrors don't play favorites. Mirrors don't care about your feelings. Right, The basic message of a, a real mirror is this. It is what it is. It's not going to lie to you. If you really think about it, a mirror has two purposes. Reflection and correction. Reflection. Get an accurate <laughs> reflection of what's actually going on so that you can try to hide what's not right. What you don't like. Right, So you can minimize the bad parts and accentuate the good parts. That's what a mirror is for. Mirrors are not like Snapchat filters or any kind of filter or something that you can put on a photo to make yourself look better. A picture can be made to show you like you would like to be. But man, mirrors, generally speaking, don't lie. Right? I'm at that point in my life. I look at a mirror and I think, is this one of those funhouse mirrors? 
right? One of those deceiving, lying mirrors? No. The Bible is like a mirror. It's not a Snapchat filter. The Bible's not going to put cute bunny ears on you, a nice nose, right? It's not going to make all your wrinkles go away. It's not going to put hair on your head that you don't have. A mirror is going to show you just exactly like you are. The Bible is like a mirror. It'll show you what you look like on the inside. So then you can correct how you live on the outside. You know what real faith does? It takes this book, it looks into it, sees who um, you are, sees the blemishes and the faults, and then allows the Spirit of God through His Word to cleanse us and make us into what we ought to be. See, watch what happens. Once you accept God's Word with an attitude that welcomes its principles into your life, and you apply those principles in a practical way, James says, write this down, number three, that you'll be blessed by God's Word. That you'll be blessed by God's Word. Uh, Biblical truth is a dangerous thing because you're going to be held accountable for all the biblical truth that you know. But when we receive biblical truth and we respond to biblical truth and it's our desire to obey biblical truth, we're blessed. Look at verse 25. It says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. James tells us that the blueprint for blessing is found in obeying God's word. And guys, that's not legalism. That's not a work salvation. That's simply being, resting in the liberty and the freedom that Christ has so preciously bought for you and living in that reality. You'll find that when you obey God's word, no matter how much it may cost you in the short run or hurt you, in the long run, it's always a blessing. We see this in scripture over and over. Look at this in your note. Psalm 19 verse 11 says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 119 verse 2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Luke chapter 11 verse 28. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. John 13 verse 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Look at this next slide. The benefit package, the best benefit package in all the world comes from obeying the Word of God. It comes from obeying the Word of God. Now, I'm going to prove this to you in a positive way and a negative way. Let's just look at the negative. In your life, if you were to reflect and think back for just a moment over things that you wish you could do over. Let's take a survey real quick. How many in here tonight would say, there's some things that I wish that I could do over? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. That was just to wake some of you up. Listen, you wish you could do it over. All those words that you wish that you could take back. All those mistakes that you wish you could redo and and all of that. Isn't it true that there would be fewer regrets, fewer mistakes, right? Fewer skeletons in the closet, fewer heartache if you had obeyed God's word in those situations. Almost every time. So let's go back to that principle. James, look at James 1.19. This principle that James gives us in the very beginning. He says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. What if we had applied that principle to most of the mistakes in our life? Things probably would have been very different. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Do you think that might transform some marriages? I know when I cut off, I got this bad habit. Of, I've always got stuff to say. Have you noticed? No, hush up. Was that my mother-in-law? Oh, somebody over here. I got him. Dennis, okay. I always know when I've cut Alicia off. You want to know why? 
she gets quiet. Right? She'll be talking. I say, hey, blah, blah, And all of a sudden, she and she just, and I'm like, I'm still talking, but I'm kind of thinking, uh-oh, I think I did it again. You know what I'm talking about? Often, I'm not very slow to speak. I'm not that fast to listen, right? I, I don't fulfill that perfectly. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I bet it would make a big difference in marriages if we were that way. I think it would change some parent-child relationships if we applied that principle. I mean, it could change anything. What do you, Washington, D.C. would be transformed overnight if it just applied this one verse. How many times have you said something that you absolutely regretted and ended up doing damage in a relationship just with your mouth? That's why James said, look at verse 20. He says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you've ever had a situation of uncontrolled anger or flying off the handle, losing your temper, did it ever make anything better? ever you think that you're going to feel better but you don't even feel better not if you're saved now i've done some marital counseling over my ministerial uh, career life i've never once had one wife walk into my office and say brother marcus our marriage was terrible right we couldn't get along but my husband started coming home from work and just yelling at me Setting me right, going off about everything, going nuclear about every small thing. And now our marriage is better than ever. Which is just, it's just sweet all the time. That's never happened. See, God has given us a truth. A truth that transcends all other truth. And, a, and just this one little verse speaks volumes about the truth that's found in God's word. Truth that transcends all other truth and truth that transforms like no other truth. If we accept that truth, if we apply that truth and we allow our lives and everybody in our shadows to be blessed by that truth. This is a truth that can not only take us to heaven, but help us experience just a little bit of heaven right here, right now in the family of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and for veritas, for truth for real truth. God, I just pray that we as your people, God, that we are willing to just receive your truth, God, that we are people that soak up your word, that we just immerse our lives in your word, God, that we so trust your word that we want to make, make it part of our everyday life. And Father, that we won't just listen, we won't just read, we won't just meditate, we won't just memorize, but God, that we will absolutely obey your word and be doers of the word. Not out of some sense of uh, legalism, of earning something from you, God. But because you've loved us so very much, how could we do anything else but respond to your love? By doing exactly what you've called us to do. And Lord, and I do, I pray for that blessing upon all of us here. As we respond to your word and we're doers of the word. God, that you'll pour out your blessings on your people. God, that your mercy and grace will... It'll flow like a river in our lives. That everybody in our shadow, in our families, in our church, at work, in our community, will know that we are a people that have been transformed by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. There's some of you here tonight, maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You haven't received the Word. See, you can't be a doer of the Word. You cannot be blessed by the word until you've received the word. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, 
It, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. All things that were created were created by Him. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. He is truth. And the only way that you can ever receive the Word of God is by receiving Christ. By accepting what the Word of God says about Jesus. His sinless life, His sacrificial death, His bodily resurrection. He's at the right hand of the Father right now praying for us, interceding for us. Believing that what it says about you being a sinner who needs a Savior. And the fact that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever will, you don't have to perish, but you can have eternal life in Christ. Have you done that? Have you received that word? That's where it all begins. Maybe right now in this moment, you need to make that decision. You need to cross over that line finally once and for all. You can pray a prayer like this. You can say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Your word says that all fall short of the glory of God. And I know that I fall short. I'm a sinner. Lord, I turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Just tell him. So, Lord, according to your word, I'm trusting in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you pray a prayer like that, God will save you immediately. Right now. It doesn't require you to do anything. You just receive it like a free gift. Then God will begin working and moving in your life and giving you direction. And one of the first things that God will call you to do as a believer is to follow through in baptism. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you prayed that prayer at some point? Do you need to follow through in believer's baptism? Maybe you're here tonight and you recognize that your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. We talk about that all the time here at Grace because it's far too common. And you want to be obedient. You don't want to be hearers of the word. right? You want to be a doer of the word. And God's word clearly shows us that when we're saved, after we make a decision for Christ, we follow through and we're baptized. Do you need to do that? Why don't you come tonight and we'll schedule that time for you and rejoice with you. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is your church home. And you know it and God has confirmed it. This is where you want to uh, serve God right here at Grace. Be a part of the team. Put on the jersey. Whatever it is, why don't you come tonight during the invitation and we'll pray with you and rejoice with you celebrate with you but whatever you need to do tonight and we talked about it this morning and it's the theme of almost all of our invitations the theme is obedience let's not deceive ourselves let's be obedient to what God is calling us to do Father God we surrender this invitation to you we love you it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray amen will you stand with me you come take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee.